Welcome to Books in the Freezer, a podcast dedicated to the deliciously disturbing world of horror fiction. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Devin. And today we're giving you guys the floor as we answer some questions from you, the listeners. This episode of Books in the Freezer is brought to you by Audible. This podcast wouldn't be possible without audiobooks. So if you want some spooky stories told by some familiar voices, try Stephen King's Pet Cemetery, read by Dexter's Michael C. Hall, or The Dead Zone, read by James Franco, or podcast favorite, Joe Hill's Nosferatu, read by Kate Mulgrew. For a free audiobook and 30-day trial, go to audibletrial.com slash books in the freezer. Happy listening. So a few weeks ago, we put a call out on social media for anyone to submit questions for our Q&A episode, and we did get a couple questions. So we're going to be answering the questions we got from Instagram in response to our Instagram stories and our Instagram post and our Facebook post. A couple being quite an understatement. Um, If you don't hear your question here, we do apologize, but this won't be the last time we do a Q&A episode. All right. So starting off with questions from Instagram, and I'm sorry if I butcher usernames, like Instagram usernames are like a weird, (laughs) like, what's that uh, game where like all the words are squished together and you have to like try to find what the words are? What? Boggle? Boggle. Yeah. Like that's how Instagram usernames are for me and i feel like i always mess them up wow uh, so our first question comes to us from at melly saw three who asks who's the most disturbed slash scariest character you've encountered while reading horror um that's quite a difficult question um i've been i've been racking my brain trying to just fathom all of the all of the characters that i've um, red that would be described as disturbing for me. I think it's kind of a toss-up uh, between two. One, not necessarily from a horror novel, but that would be uh, Tyler Durden from Fight Club. Interesting. Because my God, that man is absolutely insane. And when you know more about who he is, it's even worse. In the sense of being disturbed, I think he's probably one of the more disturbed characters I've read, and it's again the first one that kind of came to mind. Um, however, when in terms of like disturbing and being scary uh i think at least at this point in time i would probably give that to alex from a clockwork orange oh that's a good answer that guy is disturbed but also disturbing in the sense of i really would never want to come face to face with him (laughs) how about you uh for a book i would really have to say joe from you and just because he is disturbing but he hides it all behind this facade of normalcy and charm and the things he does to beck and the way he manipulates her life and stalks her he just has all of these excuses and just plays everything off and is just so manipulative you know under this whole like nice guy from if i'm gonna go with like disturbing i am gonna have to go with probably a movie character uh i'm gonna go with henry from Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, Michael Rucker. <laughs> I was going to ask who, but then he said Michael Rucker, and then I'm like, oh, okay, yep, I can see that. And when you're reading you, you're reading it from Joe's perspective, and you as the reader also find him charming. So it's just like, <laughs> wow, am I also under your spell? Are you actually, like, kind of funny? <laughs> so the next question comes from Christina M. Wilder. 
Um, and that is, what sort of horror genre would you like to see more of? I would like to see more female coming of age stories. Like, you know, like a, a girl group, someone looking back at their childhood and maybe something that happened a specific summer, but from a female perspective and with like a female group of friends. I feel like when we have these stories, you know, they're usually like the stand by me and it. And I know we have Beverly and it. Um, I would just like to see more of those stories from a female perspective. I just think it's something we don't have a ton of. I actually find this question really hard as well, because I find um, it's so much easier to say what there's too much of in a horror genre it's kind of harder to look on it and say all right what do we need more of truth be told i don't think i have an answer for this one i think i've kind of been well served in a lot of what i enjoy but horror basically my horror tastes are very eclectic i don't necessarily gravitate towards a certain like story type i guess it is a lot more commonplace to talk about the genres that are overserved, and there's too much of them um, to reflect back on what you know, what we would like to see more of. Um, I honestly would like to just see more of the same in terms of genres. Like I love psychological horror, especially um, first-person stories with semi-unreliable narrators, things like this. That's uh, that's kind of my wheelhouse when it comes to writing as well as reading. So that's I, I would love to see more of that. These are my favorite kind of stories to read, but the horror genre, I think, in term, especially in terms of indie publishing, there's an abundance of pretty much any kind of horror you can think of. So I, I do find it a little difficult to f- answer the question of what I like to see more of. I wish more than niche genres were easier to find. Our next question comes to us from at Brit underscore Jones 87. She says to Stephanie, when do you read, watch horror TV slash movies, listen to audiobooks, do your horror research when you have a young one at home? I'm a stay at home mom of one with a killer chilling obsession galore, but find no time to indulge without the kiddo seeing slash hearing. How do you do it? Teach me from one horror loving mama to another help. Um, well, I'm not going to lie. It's it's difficult uh, sometimes. Sometimes it's just me watching something on my phone, like while folding laundry, while my son's watching something on the big TV. That's not horror. It's a little more appropriate. As for audiobooks, uh, I work a part-time job at night that lets me use headphones. So I do get to listen to some audiobooks at work, which I realize is not possible for everyone. I also try to like squeeze a couple hours of audiobooks, you know, while doing something like folding laundry or doing dishes. It is understandable because just having a little one at home, just finding time to do stuff like that is a little more difficult, especially when you don't want to scar or traumatize your children for life. So I understand. Hopefully some of that helps. So the short answer is audiobooks. Audiobooks, yeah. Or like sometimes I have just like my own screen playing something. Uh, while my child is distracted. This was so much easier when my son took naps because then I'm like, oh, I have a two-hour block of time where I could watch a scary movie or when my son was like a baby and didn't understand what was going on or even really care. Uh, But yeah, now that he's older and he is... Uh, he finds a lot of things scary. Like we tried to watch Jurassic Park, way too scary for him. We tried to watch Jumanji. He was way too scared of it. So as you can imagine, it's a little tougher for me to like squeeze in more time to do that. She has a second part of the question that is for both of us. And that is, do either of you have any trigger warnings or things you can't handle? 
For example, I can't handle children being harmed abusively or sexually in some movies, TV slash lit. Maybe it comes from being a mama. I can handle it and Nosferatu, but can't handle the pedophile-ish flashback scenes in Split. Anyways, do you guys have something that's a no-no in horror? Mine's probably, yeah, like death of a child, a a kidnapping, harm to children. But even so, like, I can read stuff like that. It really just depends on how it's handled. Um, Like, Devin and I read Pet Cemetery together, and I was a little nervous going into it because I know that the plot revolves around the death of a child. Uh, But even the way it was handled there, we kind of get, like, a lead up to the moment and then way after So I felt like in that case, it was a little easier to handle. At the moment, I can't think of anything that would keep me from picking up a book. But I know I'm a little more hesitant if I know if if I know it involves harm to children. But I'll still give it a try. For those that have been listening to the podcast since I've joined, I'm pretty sure I've developed a bit of a reputation of kind of being maybe desensitized a little bit. Like basically all of my picks are room temperature, essentially. Um, with very few fridge picks. I'm trying to preface my answer so that it doesn't sound like I'm trying to be very macho and beating my chest, but I don't really have any trigger warnings, subject matter, or something like that that I can't handle. In the same sense that I don't necessarily get like scared overly from a lot of horror stuff as well. It just doesn't... I don't... I find I can get immersed in a story, but I don't find myself getting to that degree. When I come across subject matter that is very um, sensitive, very close to the chest for me, um, for example, this is going to relate to movies and, like, I guess, TV, but um, I had a really, really good friend of mine pass away from cancer years ago, and there were times when watching movies with, with cancer patients and cancer treatment, stuff like this, would kind of get me to well up, and it was really difficult to watch, but it wouldn't deter me from... From going into it, trigger warnings are a wonderful thing from being harmed, essentially, psychologically and emotionally from, from media and from work. But when I come across subject matter of that nature, I still kind of dive in and um, kind of kind of shoulder it. Those kind of things I like facing head on, even as you know bad as it probably is for me in the moment. I find long term it's, it's helped me with this kind of uh, approach to this kind of thing. When it comes to trigger warnings in general, especially with this podcast, with reading horror and talking to friends about horror, um, I try to be aware of the trigger warnings because I know there are people that are incredibly sensitive to it. And I know there are people that you'd want to make them aware of the of this going into it. So like I said, I try to be aware of them. But as far as personal reading, personal consumption of the media, um, there really isn't anything I can think of right now that would... Um, that would deter me. The next question comes from, I believe, Train to Midian. And they ask, do you ever have nightmares? I actually do have nightmares. Not often. They come like every once in a while. But I do. I had one actually like a few weeks ago. It was like a home invasion one. And I went like, you'll be proud. I went all final girl and I ended up fighting the guy with a broken bottle. Wow. Yep. This is obviously a dream because I don't think I'd ever have the courage to do that. <laughs> and then I had a, I had like a kidnapping nightmare after I watched The Devil's Candy, even though like that scene is like nothing in the, the whole movie. It's like a, you know, like a maybe a 10 minute sequence out of the whole movie. And I guess it scared me because I had a nightmare very similar to the situation in the movie, like immediately after. 
So yeah, I do get nightmares. So how about you, Devin? You ever get nightmares? I nightmares is actually quite an interesting part of my life. <laughs> um, okay. Um, I don't actually have nightmares per se. Uh, I that I can think of in the last like say 15, 20 years or so. But I do vividly remember like a handful of nightmares I had as a kid. But I mean, where again to talk about my writing. Um, I've did a lot of of diving into like lucid dreaming and dream manipulation and and controlling of nightmares and things like this. So like yeah, um, I'm absolutely fascinated by just the idea of nightmares. Um, have you ever done it? What lucid dream? Yeah, I have. I did it once. I can't like do it on command like every night, but that would be such an amazing thing. And for those you know unaware lucid dreaming is when you can wake up kind of in your dream and realize it's a dream and then you kind of have control over things you can manipulate things i i love just thinking about nightmares i love thinking about dreams and stuff like this this is why i again base the base my writing on on this kind of stuff do you want to hear my funny story about lucid dreaming <laughs> that would be awesome i was in high school and i had a crush on a guy who lived like three doors down from me and I was dreaming and in my dream he was like talking to me and we were flirting and even in my dream I was like this is obviously a dream because this guy has no idea that I exist and I am dreaming so now I'm gonna fly bye wow <laughs> that's awesome see the hardest part the reason why a lot of people can't lose a dream like again on command is generally in your dream the realization that you're dreaming is enough to wake you up like yeah. the shock of, oh my God, this is a dream will actually pop you out of the dream and you'll wake up in your bed. But um, that sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you were you were somewhat insecure enough to the point that you end up lucid dreaming. That's great. Yeah, it helped that one time. <laughs> oh man. So Rachel, our old co-host, wants to know what is one of your favorite quotes from a horror book? What are your top three horror subgenres to read? And is there a horror topic that you are nervous or intimidated to cover on the podcast? I am not one for quotes. I don't think I've done a good job of keeping track of quotes from horror books that have stood out to me. So I'm probably just going to go with a classic answer, and that is the opening line to Shirley Jackson's The Haunting of Hill House. No live organism can continue for long to exist sanely under conditions of absolute reality. Even larks and katydids are supposed by some to dream. Hill House, not sane, stood by itself against its hills, holding darkness within. It had stood so for 80 years and might stand for 80 more. Within, walls continued upright, bricks met neatly, floors were firm, and doors were sensibly shut. Silence lay steadily against the wood and stone of Hill House, and whatever walked there, walked alone. In the series, they also like read that in one of the openings, which is cool. Uh, top three horror subgenres to read. Uh, I do love possession stories. So like possessions, last exorcism, I guess. I love haunted houses. You know, we've talked about that. I also really like vampires. I think all things that I have mentioned on the show previously, things that will come as a surprise to absolutely no one. 
Um, and is there a topic that we are nervous or intimidated to cover? Personally, uh, a little nervous slash intimidated to cover cosmic horror. Uh, I'm currently reading some H.P. Lovecraft to have a little more confidence when we finally decide to do that episode. And then there's some that are just really big and vast that we haven't done. Like we haven't done an episode on like ghosts. I I am horrible with quotes in the sense of, you know, I can read something and find a line kind of intriguing, but then continue to read and then forget where it is and never really go back to it. So like, I'm not one of the people that will quote things very often per se without looking it up first. Um, The podcast is making it better. I'm getting more aware of that and keeping track of things better. A quote that um, comes from one of, again, my favorite novel. I read this novel basically every year, which is Bram Stoker's Dracula. The quote comes from Mina, who is what I believe to be a very strong heroine of the story. Talking about Lucy, who is her friend who succumbs to the thralls of Dracula. Um, I told her anxious I was about Jonathan and that she tried to comfort me. And then the quote was, well, she succeeded somewhat, for though sympathy can't alter facts, it can make them more bearable. Just that, like, it's poignant for me. It's basically saying that, you know, you can you can comfort somebody, you can make somebody feel better. Um, it doesn't change their situation, but it can certainly help them deal with it and make it, again, more bearable. And I just like the way that it was phrased. It, it sounds very poetic when I read it. Like it. It's not scary, but it's yeah. it's it's powerful. Yeah. And the top three horror subgenres to read for me to read, um <laughs> indie doesn't count as a subgenre. The top one is not gonna be a subgenre. It's gonna be a style. And Seth might be able to guess before I even say it, because if it's something is written in this style, I am going to read it and recommend it, whether it's good or bad. And that is anything epistolary. Yep, knew it. <laughs> a horror novel done in epistolary format is going to get my attention. So I I would be remiss not to put that as the top subgenre of, of sorts to read. Um, beyond that, I... I'm going to get um, a very ironic sound from Steph, a groan, when I say I honestly still think zombies would fit within this. It's <laughs> was, just a shrug, not a groan. <laughs> okay. Um, I know zombies are overdone. I know zombies are oversaturated now, and every indie author, especially with a vague idea of what horror is, is writing a zombie novel. Um, but I still feel like zombies are some of the, the, the purest way of storytelling in the genre because it's one of the monsters where th- very rarely are they the focus of the story. They are a setting, they are a backdrop. And um, when you find authors that, that can grasp that part of the genre where they're not trying to focus on making the zombie scary but they're focused on telling a really, really intense story with the people that are alive, then I think it's some some more powerful works. Honestly, I could probably use a little more sci-fi horror in my life. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. Not like cosmic horror specifically, because cosmic horror kind of fits within a subgenre of sci-fi horror. But like th- something like an Event Horizon or a Dead Space, um, a derelict ship. Yeah, I could totally use some more, some more sci-fi horror in my life. And Creepy Caffeine asked, do you have opinions on what subgenre of horror overdone and what on the other hand, you wish there was more of. 
Also, do you have a favorite film, television show adaptation that you felt did the book justice? We, we did kind of answer the first one already. In terms of stuff that are overdone, I think I even mentioned it in my answer just then, where I do think zombies are an overdone part of the genre. I think a lot of the staples are done. Like, a lot of the main ones are, are overdone. Zombies, vampires. I would have to agree with uh, <laughs> zombies. Um, I think especially when you start looking at indie horror and start looking for stuff there, there's just so many zombies. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Also, to agree with you on your last answer i do wish there was more sci-fi horror i really enjoy sci-fi horror and especially like space horror like we were talking about yeah so i definitely wish there was more of that and for a favorite film and tell or television show adaptation i really liked the ruins the adaptation of the scott smith book about the american tourists going to mexico and getting trapped on some ruins uh, i also thought uh the recent adaptation of gerald's game was pretty good on netflix so those are two that have stood out for me that i thought really did the book justice okay um you did kind of take my pick with gerald's game oh no i'll but no uh they're they're a number um to keep it on King and to really be loose with the term did the book justice because yeah. I don't necessarily think a one-to-one adaptation is doing the book justice per se, uh, where r- novels, fiction are different medium than film. You know, there you have to make concessions for that. So, like, for an example, The Shining. The Shining... I feel was a great adaptation that did do the book justice in terms of tone, in terms of of the the feeling you get watching it slash reading it. Um, whereas the Shining miniseries done by Stephen King was more on beat with everything that happened in the novel, and it was kind of laughably bad. Mm-hmm. Um, however, to answer it non-Stephen King, and this might be controversial as well in a way, but I think the uh, Francis Ford Coppola's adaptation of Dracula was really well. Um, they did change some things around. It wasn't like set of perfect. They gave Dracula this weird origin story that was just odd. But overall, I think it was a really well done adaptation of the novel. And what, seeing the movie is what made me originally go and read the novel and fall in love with it in the first place. So again, I, I would be wrong to not at least mention it here. The only, the only criminal thing with that adaptation I found, besides the weird Dracula lovesick origin story, is... Um, <laughs> I know what you're going to say. Keanu Reeves' accent. Yep. Oh my god, that was horrible. It's so bad. I love Keanu Reeves, but, <laughs> but no. <laughs> Sir Anthony Van Helsing was more than mixed up for that. Uh, so at Pandemonium Peach wants to know, are there any books you haven't talked about on the podcast because it hasn't fit with any themes, but you'd really like to talk about it. And yeah, there's definitely a few, and it's one of those things where, uh, like I know Rachel and I would talk about this a lot, where we would read a book and be like, so okay, someday in the near future when we do this like obscure episode, this will be a perfect fit for it. Um, Like I know I read, I think it's a, 
Mary's All in a Row by Gwendolyn Keist. And I'm like, someday when we do like an urban legends horror episode, like that'll be a perfect fit for something like that. Or something like The Fetishists by A.S. Coomer. I'm like, oh, when we do like body horror, that's going to be one of my picks. So it's like things like that, right? I do read them and I'm like, I want to talk about them, but I have to wait for like the time when we finally do that perfect episode that just fits it perfectly. How about you? I am an incredibly slow reader. And after doing the podcast for, for what, the, the eight months or so that I've been on it, um, I've kind of caught up with pretty much most of what I've read. So I'm at a point now where I'm kind of reading things within the couple of weeks before the episode to get a recommendation for everyone. Um, there are a couple that I've read that I haven't talked about. One would be uh, The Summer Job, Adam Caesar. That is one that I'm hoping to fit into an episode at some point within the next <laughs> year or so. There's uh, House of Small Shadows by Adam Neville. Um, that hasn't fit in with anything that we've talked about so far but it's not yet but we'll see what happens um and then in terms of body horror i've read a david cronenberg book that i would like to talk about at some point called consumed which was a very interesting book that i'm really looking forward to talking about <laughs> but not not so much a lot of them but there there, there are a few and quincy bear 69 how extreme do you like your horror on a scale of one to five say like a 3.5 i think when it starts getting like too extreme i feel like it just loses something for me it's just not not my jam if you like extreme horror like that's totally fine i don't feel like it's quite my jam but i think closer to one i kind of feel like okay give me a little more than that Mm -hmm. 3.5 with me it's it's again contingent on your definition of extreme um like the extreme horror kind of really niche subgenre is very um gore centric very disturbing like somewhat torture porn of the horror genre so in terms of that kind of extremity i'm actually probably closer to like a two <laughs> two and a half um i appreciate scenes of gore and scenes of extreme violence in terms of storytelling when they're amplifying the story but a lot of times with the, the genre of extreme horror um, if that's what we're referring to specifically, it's more of the story as a backdrop for the violence. So it really isn't necess- it really isn't my taste. Um, I've read a few um, titles like that, and they were okay. Like I didn't dislike them per se, but it's just not what I would immediately reach for in terms of looking for something to to consume just for entertainment purposes. I like the scenes when they're done really well and they can be very impactful, but they need to be complement or be or be a supplement for the story and not the other way around where the story is just there to get you from point from scene one to scene two of the uh, the extremeness so yeah i'd say two maybe two and a half (laughs) out of five would be where i would like (laughs) (laughs) i never would have thought my answer would be higher than yours i know our next question is from at uncle beefstock okay what is your least favorite book of all time okay so i'm not sure if this is cheating and uh uncle beefstock if you meant your least favorite horror book then uh message me or, or reach out and i will answer it independently i used to run a group on youtube that seeked out stories we don't expect to enjoy to read and read them 
Oh, I remember this. It was called the Renat Entertain. It's still the Goodreads group. I still, I might actually, you know, revive that at some point. But we actively looked for books we didn't expect to enjoy just to read them and see what we can pull from them. Thorn of Glass is the one I remember you complaining about the most. Oh, God, did I ever. Again, I apologize if you meant least favorite horror book, but my the worst my my least favorite book i have ever read is throne of glass by sarah j mass oh my god before me and steph were even friends she has heard me complain about this book it is absolutely like i'm losing words just thinking about it actually i, I try and cut uh, mass some slack on it because she was incredibly young when she wrote this originally apparently i can't go into more detail than that with it raging and no, no one wants to see that. I have like two, and yeah, neither of them are horror. I, I've recently, I just DNF books. Like, I think the lowest I've rated anything the last couple years is two stars, and that's like that means like I did not enjoy this, but I finished it. Um, like if I hate something, I do not finish it and just like delete it from my Goodreads and my life and my eyesight. It's just how I, how I do. Um. Oh, but a few years ago, I read She's Come Undone by Wally Lamb, which in the 90s was this really big Oprah book club. And it's just tragedy porn. I hate tragedy porn. And it follows this fat girl named Dolores and her being fat is a big part of the story and is like half of the tragedies that she goes through. Um she and a trigger warnings for like sexual assault and rape and all of these things happen to her and that's just the whole book the whole book is just horrible things happening to her and i'm like i don't you almost become desensitized to it halfway through the book because just every time like it looks like things are going to get better they don't and something else bad happens to her and uh, i remember just not liking it also um, there were so many uh, reviews where it's like, wow, he really understands how to write women. And I just felt like that could not be further from the truth in this, in my opinion. And, you know, obviously I don't speak for all women. All women are different. Maybe it really resonated with some women. I did not find that that was the case. And it was one of those things where she's this like fat lady and I remember he said like a specific weight because she was supposed to be very young and I think she weighed like 250 pounds as a as a teenager and it said like she got into a a car and like the car like sunk on her side I'm like I don't I don't think that would happen at that weight it was just like things that just didn't make sense like a man who didn't understand women's bodies or sizes and just piled on all these tragedies on a woman and called it a story and people loved it, I guess, in the 90s. Not my deal at all. My second one was a book I had to read in high school called A Separate Piece by John Knowles. And that was a boring piece of crap. And I threw it across the room. I was so mad and underwhelmed. And it was weirdly sensational and overdramatic and underwhelming at the same time. I don't know how it did it, but I but it did it. And I despise that book. Don't, uh, don't sugarcoat <laughs> it, Steph. You chucked it across the room. Yes, I did. I also did that with uh, another book. <laughs> it's, I've only done that like twice. Ugh. But yeah. Anyway, that's my answer for that. So at Teresa Contour wants to know, do either of you read Jack Kilborn? Do you consider his books horror? His book, Afraid, was the first book I read as an adult. His books can be graphic. If you have read them, what are your thoughts on his writing? I have not read Jack Kilborn. In fact, this is the first time I've heard of him. 
So, Devin, you want to take it from here? Um, I haven't actually read any Jack Kilborn, no. He's an author that keeps popping up when I'm looking for new books. So he keeps getting recommended to me from Amazon, so I've always been wanting to do it. Um, Steph, you might enjoy it. Like, he's also a thriller writer, because he writes Jack Kilborn as his horror, and uh, J.A. Conrath is his thriller novels. But yeah, I have a copy of Webcam before I realized that it was like really deep into his collection. So um, I do plan to read some Jack Kilburn. Afraid actually is probably going to be the one I pick up first. And that's one that I might end up talking about actually on a future episode. It's uh, This is one we'll put a pin in and we'll, come, we'll get back to it on an, on an episode proper uh, in the future. Next up, we have Laura Lee Conway uh, who asks, what's a book you'd like to see adapted for television or film? I'd really like to see exorcist falls by jonathan jans adapted for film here's the thing though you need the novella exorcist road to give context for the novel exorcist falls and we just had this show the exorcist come out a few years ago and that also took place in chicago and also followed like a upper middle class family that had a possessed child so i think maybe at this exact moment might be too soon because it's takes place in kind of the same area um exorcist falls is very different from that but i think exorcist road might be a little too similar to the exorcist tv show i'm talking about this like it's really gonna happen (laughs) like i'm meeting with executives tomorrow (laughs) um i think that would be great as like a a horror miniseries i think just all the twists and turns it takes and there's some scenes like i still think about from that book that i think would translate really well also, Come Closer by Sarah Gran, I think would make a really good horror miniseries. Well, for me, uh, first one I'm going to mention off the hop, and this is for uh, Books in the Freezer Bingo, is My Best Friend's Exorcism by Grady. Oh, yeah, that would be great. Hasn't that been optioned? It is. I'm, I mean, I have a hard time keeping up with like where things are in the development process, but like when we talked to him, it seemed like it was a go. Yeah, so... My Best Friend's Exorcism is definitely one I want to see. Um, but that one is not so much as hypothetical as others because I do believe that may have been optioned or it's in the works or something along those lines. So that is definitely one, one of the first ones that came to mind. The other one, for anyone who knows me, is not going to be a surprise, but I would love to see uh, Zburbia by Jake Bible made into either a movie or a TV show or whatever because just it's, it would be like The Walking Dead but funny and entertaining <clears throat> Ooh, I probably shouldn't say that yeah I don't think it would ever happen because there is The Walking Dead and the zombie television show where the zombie movie is kind of a very oversaturated market right now but I would love to see like uh, Jay Sanford and Elspeth and all them on the on the screen that would be that would be awesome at Jennifer Maloney wants to know what first got you into horror books and what was the first horror book you read? What first got me into horror books was just an obsession with horror in general. Being a preteen and watching Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th and then going to school and reading these boring books. Um, <laughs> then realizing that there were books kind of like these movies I'm watching. That sounds cool. Uh, I mean, I, like most people, was there for the big goosebumps craze. Like, I remember I was an early reader. Like, I learned to read at when I was four. So when I was in 
like first grade and we took our class field trip down to the school library I was checking out Goosebumps chapter books um and I was just yeah it was just an immediate like I was immediately drawn to them and I think it was a choose your own adventure one um I definitely got into horror books before horror movies yeah like yeah like most kids just just goosebumps also you want to hear something funny um when I was in high school like my family was like very religious and I was at this religious school so I remember actually reading Christian horror this is a thing uh, and specifically there was a book called House and it was co-authored I remember by Ted Decker and Frank Peretti and it was about like all these people that um, get drawn into this like decrepit old motel and have to stay there the night and they get like confronted with like things from their past and there's like ghosts and stuff you just reminded me that ted decker exists i knew <laughs> yeah. i've read the bowman's daughter oh that's what like the the edgy christian kids were yeah. into <laughs> nice i forgot about that Oh, wow. Matthew Boyette wants to know, I love horror books, but my first love is comic books slash graphic novels. There's been an ever-increasing rise in production of these books. Do you have a favorite horror comic or show based on the issues, on this issue? Um, I have a number. Um, Definitely name off a few. Like, I'm not going to take the one I think you're going to use. There's, well, first and foremost, it's going to be no surprise, Uzumaki by Junji Ito. Uh, it's it's a graphic novel. We've we've talked about it at nauseum, so I'm not going to go into it. Um, the Crow that I mentioned already was one of my favorite just stories of all time, kind of thing. Um, and the a third one that I'm pretty sure Steph is going to mention. If she doesn't, then I'll come back to it. So uh, Steph, what's yours? I I think they're all the ones I mentioned on my on the graphic novels episode. If you want to give that a listen, but I will just gush about them here again. I absolutely loved The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Was that the one you were going to say? Nope. Okay. I loved it. I am really bad at reading follow-ups, though, so I was actually thinking to myself that I was going to do my own personal sequel September and check out the volume two for all the... um, for all the graphic novels that I love because I've read all the volume I've read volume one and I'm like oh I'm definitely going to read volume two um so that nail biter was another one I really liked about a serial killer and oh I think I know what you're gonna say <laughs> now that I think of it lock and key there you go Mr. Joe Hill <laughs> yeah those are good ones um Sandman also by Neil Gaiman mm-hmm. so I mean basically um you go back and listen to our graphic novels episode and you get a lot of uh, insight into it. That's more or less most what we're saying right now, really. Yeah, essentially. I need to branch out and read more graphic novels, which I think is what I want to do next month. Um, and the last question for this episode comes from Emily Craddock. Uh, and that is, what other genres do you read? Also, what are some underrated horror movies you think more people should watch? Uh... I read a lot of other genres. I like, I like a good old like classic locked room mystery. Like I really like Agatha Christie. Thrillers have been a little hit or miss for me, uh, but I do enjoy a good thriller every now and then. Um, historical fiction. I try to read at least a few classics a year. Um, 
Literary fiction is one I really haven't picked up actually in like two years, but I, I used to really like it. Um, I guess one specific subgenre of literary fiction that I will always pick up is a, a multi-generational family saga. Like if you're telling me a story and it follows a family through at least three generations, I am there. And then as for some underrated horror movies, I think more people should watch. I really liked The Invitation. Uh, it's on Netflix and it's about this guy who gets, he and his girlfriend get invited to his ex-wife's dinner party that she is hosting with her new husband. So, you know, not an awkward situation at all. Um, and things get tense. I also really liked, I think I've mentioned it on the podcast, but The Black Coat's Daughter, and that stars Emma Roberts and, ooh, what's her name? The girl that plays Sabrina. <laughs> On the the new Sabrina show, she was Sally Draper on Mad Men. Kiernan Shipka, that's her name. Um, and it's about uh, these girls that are at this private Catholic high school and they stay in their dorm for a few days after winter break has started. And stuff happens. Um, I know, it's like I can't really tell you what it's about. And lastly, we I know Devin and I talked about this, I think, a few episodes ago, but Sinister, I don't think it's enough love. Again, since joining the podcast, not a whole lot of other genres. Um, but prior to that, and still going forward, I'm looking to re-manage my time and try and get more reading done. Um, I've always been one to read pretty much everything. And I know this is a bit of a um, cop-out of an answer, but like legitimately. But when it comes to me and reading, I'm generally more about like the experience of it some what you can pull from it um what you can get out of it uh not even necessarily the story itself that's why again as i alluded to earlier about the group i used to have on booktube called are we not entertained the point was what can you like pull from a story what experiences can you go through with the story whether it's good bad um Within that group, I've read The Selection by Kira Cass. I've read Throne of Glass by Sarah J. Mass. I've read The Road. <laughs> I've read Stephanie Meyer. Um, like, I've been all over the spectrum on this. So I generally will read anything within any genre whatsoever, um, as long as it sounds really good or really bad. <laughs> um, in terms of underrated horror movies... One, the first one comes to mind is uh, Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. It's a mockumentary of this slasher who's setting up for his uh, big night of killing, you know, innocent teens and following the rules and such. Very Scream-esque meets the Blair Witch, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Um, another one, which isn't a horror movie, but it is an actual documentary that I think people should check out if you haven't already, is, I'm pretty sure it's on Shudder, is uh, Never Sleep Again, the Nightmare on Elm Street documentary. It's like four hours long, but it like goes in such detail about the creation of the movie um, and its impact and such. It's I can't recommend that enough. Um, Terrifier is another movie. It's on Netflix, which is developing this massive cult following now, but... um. That's a movie that I'd recommend getting in on now, especially before it becomes this cult classic that everyone's talking about 10 years from now, 15 years from now that you didn't see. Uh, um, and the last one, a little more odd, is 
the movie, I think Steph, if she hasn't seen it, would really enjoy it. As Above, So Below. Um, it's very Descent-ish. Um, it's basically these tourists go into uh, under Paris. There's these, these catacombs. And it's like miles and miles and miles of catacombs. And if you get lost on there, it could be you could you could legitimately never be found again. That's how like intricate they are. And this is a movie about it's a found footage movie of people going down and and hilarity ensuing as bad things happen to them while they get lost within the catacombs. That is our question and answer episode, guys. Thank you so much for taking the time to submit questions. Um, We will be back to regular Books in the Freezer episode next time in the next two weeks. (laughs) And like I said, that was all the time we have today for for the questions. Um, If you did submit a question and it wasn't asked, uh, don't fret. Like I said, we are going to hold on to them. Um, This won't be the last Q&A episode that we do, so it is possible. Or we might even be able to answer some, you know, privately, like on social media or or other means. Books in the Freezer is a bi-weekly podcast. We post episodes every other Tuesday. You can find us on Twitter at Books Freezer Pod or on Instagram at Books in the Freezer. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash books in the freezer. You can send us an email at books in the freezer at gmail.com. Show notes for this episode and all previous episodes will be at books in the freezer.com. I'm Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter at Lady underscore Ganya. That's L-A-D-Y underscore G-H-E-N-O-N. Or on Instagram at That's What She Read. But that's with two A's. Or on YouTube at That's What She Read. Just spelled normally. And I'm Devin. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at InsomniReads. And you can also find me streaming horror games on Twitch at Indie Insomniac. Join us next time for Books in the Freezer. Thank you.